Do you guys hear that? Y- yes. You hear it? It's like a light rustle kind of thing. Huh? Yeah. You hear that? I think it's the vent. Yeah. I think it's the... I can hear the vent. I think it's... I feel like it's uh, all trout rods coming out of people's closets because the winter has passed. (laughs) And the spring is here. It's trout opener weekend. Trout opener weekend. April 23rd. And people go for steelhead. What a shame. (laughs) Every year last Saturday in April. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so today we're, uh, we're not on the river, but we're recording to celebrate the opener of trout. And we're interviewing a legend of the fly fishing world in southern Ontario. Uh, he's been fishing these rivers for how many years? Uh, well, these rivers around here. I've been fly fishing for close to 40 years. Well, there you go. 40 years building bamboo rods. Yep. Um, Which I can see one right there. Yep. Yeah, time flies, doing all kinds of things for 40 years. And we're here interviewing wow. him today, which is actually a pretty fitting way to kick off Trout Opener. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank welcome you. So fly. Thank you. Of course, I'm joined again by Yelma and Gab. Yelma, how's it going? Uh, good. Gab, how are you? Hey, how are you doing, guys? And uh, so today we're obviously going to be talking about trout, uh, but I'm sure we're going to go in a tons of different directions because we're interviewing, you know, Joe, who's been, like I said, fishing for 40 years. And uh, how, When did you start fly fishing? Well, how did you get into it? Well, I, uh, probably when I was 12 or 13, I got my first fly rod. Okay, and uh, had no idea what I was doing, of course, but uh, but but it was good. It was fun. Um, some of the early experiences I had, which really started to open my mind, was with carp. Oh, really? Yes, I love and to hear uh, yeah, because they were accessible, and uh, I would stock them like bonefish, and uh, you know, you, and it was it was easy to observe, right? You could you could see them sort of mudding around on the bottom, you would cast the fly and then you could see them react to the fly. And then, you know, those, those early experiences sort of, you know, taught you stealth, which is very important in fly fishing, mm. taught you observation, which I think is the cornerstone of, of great fly fishing. And uh, it sort of, you know, helped, you know, create that fire in you to sort of uh, understand what the sport of fly fishing truly is, right? So you saw you were you saw these carp inside a river. Yeah, said, yeah, off to the side. Yeah, right, and, and you said uh, that'd be cool. To... Yeah, and, and of course, as a young man, the thing that you pursued was you know you start reading books on fly fishing, and you understand that the you know the, the pinnacle of, of successful fly fishing is dry fly fishing. Mm. I mean, uh, to the, to the exclusion that um, it was frowned upon at the time, nymph fishing and wet fly fishing was almost something that the Unwashed, unwashed masses did, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but it was very hard to be successful uh, with a dry fly because a lot of the rivers and streams that we had at that time were not classic. They had a lot of coarse fish in them, chub, that you know that yeah. kind of thing, and they are not that selective. You, know, you could mm-hmm. you know tie a cigarette butt on and float it down. And, so you were born with a fly rod in your hand. Well, <laughs> and then you hit the river, and that was that was that. Then. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, or did you start spin fishing? I, of course. Before of course. then, I started with a worm, like most people did, yeah. and uh, yeah, you catch chub and you catch you had some success with trout for sure. Yeah, um, but. It, it, there's the aesthetic of worm fishing or bait fishing at the time lacked something. There was something in you that you liked the way fly rods looked. Um, you liked the concept of it all. There was just a an overall, yeah. overall aesthetic that attracted you to them. Yeah. Right? I, I love how you started with the carp because usually people yeah. start fly fishing, they think about trout, 
you started with the carp, and now, like the last five years or so, carp has like regaining popularity. Sure and you know what, too, though, that's funny because we've talked a lot about like fish that we've started fly fishing on. Yeah. And like for me, it was bass. Yes. Bass is a big fish for spin fishing guys too. Mm-hmm. Sure it is. Um, but carp as a as an entry fish. That must be so hard. Like to yeah. start fly fishing for carp, like to right. focus on them. Well, the, the the good thing with carp was it didn't you didn't require to be a good caster. And carp looked down. They didn't look up. They looked at the bottom. So uh, presentation wasn't as important. Drag and the style of flies. You were very forgiving that way. The only thing with carp was stealth. Mm-hmm. They are very, very, very spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, really? So, oh, yeah. Incredibly oh, spooky. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you have to remember, too, you're fishing shallow, shallow water. So if you understand the way fish relate, the, the, the closer the surface is to the fish... Mm-hmm the bigger the window is. Mm-hmm. If a fish right. is in 10 feet of water, it has a very small window, and they're less spooky in that kind of water. Right. Yeah. But if, if a fish is very near the surface, the window is very large, so it is easy to spook them. That you is why people one... on the credit, for example, have no success, because if a fish is feeding on a dry fly, and it's near the surface, its window is huge. Yeah. So it sees you coming As soon as you put the fi- yeah. foot in the water, it's, it's done. Right. Oh, I want to correct something. Yeah, I yeah. made a mistake. It's it's actually the opposite. When a fish is deep, the window's big. When the fish is right. when the fish is right near the surface, the window's at its smallest. Mm. Right. So uh, so they are vulnerable when you can if you understand that if they're if they're right at the very surface, you can get pretty close to them and catch them. Uh, really? Oh, because logic I would think would be the it's the, the other, other way. It, 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 it's 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 the other way around. So as I've had I've I've had fish rising. Um, steady, and I've had people yell at me and saying you're going to spook them, but I won't spook them if they're right near the surface. If they're two inches under the surface, their uh-huh. window's very small. Right. So you could get, and that's the point. You mm-hmm. want to get as close as possible so you can eliminate drag. Guys right. that want to cast 40 feet to a rising trout, good luck. Yeah, yeah. You can't eliminate all that drag. And a hook set and everything else. The too. best fly fish run I ever saw, especially I say when I went to Central Pennsylvania, that was an eye opener for me. They try and get as close to the fish as they can. They're trying to eliminate as much drag as they can. So you fish down in, in central Pennsylvania on just one river? Or oh, no. There, there, there are a number of rivers. There, there's the mighty Pens. Pens Creek is a huge, huge, beautiful river. Um, Spring Creek, which I think uh, Paul Young fished Spring Creek. Vince Marinero fished Spring Creek. Mm-hmm. Spring Creek is a limestone. And the limestones of central Pennsylvania are... Very fertile. They're the MIT of yeah. all... Yeah. Rivers, in my opinion, more so than they are in yeah. upstate New York. Yeah, um, the Catskills. Yeah, because they're usually low gradient streams, most of them. Mm-hmm. So you have a long, a lot of these long flat pools, which force you uh, to be observant, to force you to be a good caster, to eliminate drag, and to have the right pattern. So, but I, I've jumped all over the place. That's here, okay. So. No, I have to see Pennsylvania because upstate New York's got a special place in my heart. And I don't think there's any place better than upstate New York, so Pennsylvania must be crazy. Well, it's, it's my, my friends and I, all the guys I grew up fly fishing with, we used to have this saying that, you know, you you go fish a hatch and, uh, you you know, your success is at the end of the day, we would always look at each other and say, all right, we're all going to have dunce hats on at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the classic dunce hats. Some will be bigger <laughs> than others. <laughs> so uh, we always would, fish with me. So when I, would be, when I went to Pencil, central Pennsylvania the yeah. first time, and I came back to the car, I thought, I have an enormous dunce hat on. Yeah. 
<laughs> but we would always show up at the end of the day and compare notes, and we would always look to see who's got the biggest dunce hat, who's yeah. got the smallest dunce hat. Yeah. Um, I just want to know a little bit more about, you know, you, you picked up fly fishing, you were fishing carp, that sort of thing. Where did you? Where did it take you? Like, you, were you fishing just southern Ontario, or where? Did you... Yeah, it was more so that when I was a young man and I didn't have a car, I had a bike. It was more. So, it was more rivers that were accessible mm-hmm. around uh, around Port Dover, Lake Erie. There were some streams that ran in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first trout I ever caught on a dry fly, you know, you got to remember, I read all these books the way trout are supposed to be, mm-hmm. and I remember walking down to the stream and looking for carp and crappies and rock bass with my fly rod. And I had like four dry flies they had bought at a sporting store that were tied in England. And I came up upon this log one day on a bank and I saw this 10 inch trout sitting below the surface, regularly rising and, and eating something off the surface. And I thought, that's exactly what the books have been telling me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I put on a fly, cast, and the fish went down. I, 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 scared, the, I scared the fish right off the bat. Because I, I had no concept. I just. I you didn't stop. Any dry fly. I didn't stop. I didn't look. I didn't yeah. think. Yeah. So I thought, boy, I feel really dumb. So I sat on the bank. Uh, he started rising in ten minutes again. And this time, I thought, well, I'm going to look a little closer. So I noticed the, this bug. I really didn't pay that much attention to it, but I noticed it had two wings, and I noticed, you know, what kind of rough bug it was. I yeah. looked something close. I cast, um, and I got lucky, and it took the fly. And I thought, that's it. I am now. An amazing angler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little did it take, not understand it would take me another year before I would catch another one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, so you realized, so you're reading the books and then you saw it actually yep. happening in person, right? And we're all, we've all seen that too because yep. you know, we've been on the river and it's like, oh, we have to be quiet, we have to stay low, use this fly. And then we end up throwing, you know, Hendrickson's in a trico hatch kind of thing, and we just <laughs> scare all the fish away. We see them, like they're swimming by a Or Mitch, Mitch getting mad at me because I'm throwing a streamer during a hatch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, so that's we just squeezed more information into the intro of the show than we have in the last three episodes, I think. I think we're jumping all over the place. We're jumping all over the place, but that's okay. Um, so that's you okay. Go, we're no radio stations. We yeah, do whatever yeah. we want. What I'm thinking is, I show up to the trout stream. Any trout stream, right. do I do the same thing? What is my process when I get there? So that's a great example. Let's let's take. I'm going to leave the opener alone because the opener probably, in most cases, will probably be nymph fishing. There's the odd eddy or back eddy, or you may get you'll get olives hatching. They're the first, the small blue winged olive. You'll get them hatching, and the fish may or may not react to them. Um, but the second weekend after opener is when I start to look for, which I think is the, the most important hatch at the beginning of the year, in a, in a mayfly sense, is the Hendrickson. Now, in the sport, you can go as far as you want. You can just call it the Hendrickson, or you could go a little deeper and understand the Latin name for it, which is important to a certain extent, which is Femorella Siberia. Now, why is that? Because a Hendrickson here and a Hendrickson in Montana, let's say, they, may, they don't have Hendricksons, but... Let's say if they do, they can be different. A great example is the green drake. We have a green drake. They have one out west, but they're different bugs, and you have to go to the Latin name. So if you go to Femorella severi, which is the Hendrickson, the first big hatch of the year, what, what, what would I do? So I would go down to the river, as I was saying. I would go down at noon. Why would I go down at noon? Well, because they're looking for a certain temperature to emerge, 
and usually that is between two and four. Two and four in the afternoon is, is the, the, the sweet spot. So if I go down at noon, I take my time, I put my gear on, uh, I get to the water, I turn over some rocks, and I look. Wow, look at all these Hendrickson nymphs that have migrated to the bank of the river. What does that tell me? That tells me that something's going to happen, right? The next thing I would do is I would look close at those nymphs. I met an entomologist from the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum, and he told me that what he observed with the Hendrickson was as they get closer to hatching, like the day they're going to hatch, there, there's a little light band that you see in the nymph, and it's very pink. And the pinker it is, the closer it is to emerging, to the point where it actually emerges that morning, it's bright pink almost. So I know that I'm going to have a good hatch. If I got down there and I didn't see that many nymphs on, uh, close to the bank yet, and I did look at them, they were still a bit dark, I would think, well, I may get some hatching, but I may not. Yeah. So I'm going to fish a nymph anyways, and I'll, I'll, I'll fish it, and there will be a couple come off. But I'm not going to have a big, big, big day. So let's say I get there, and I've already kind of, I see a lot of nymphs. I tie on a nymph, and I start to fish, um, you know, the riffle toward the pool or into a pool, because the fish are going to be in the pool. Mm-hmm. They get the odd one that's already starting to look and see them. But it's still the water's still cold at that it's time. Still a bit right? cold, and you got to be for a moment think like a fish and look under the river. You have all these nymphs, and they're starting to move around. And in order for them to hatch, they're going to actually migrate to the side and then and then swim to the surface, split their split their shuck. The wings come out. Well, they actually, a Henderson's a little unique that way. Float, dry their wings, and fly into the trees. Yeah. Okay. So if you know that, the fish know that, then you can start to sort of take advantage of that. So uh, so that's what I would start to do. As we get closer to the right temperature, air temperature and water temperature, the fish will migrate out of those pools and start moving into the heads of the pools or into the shallower water, positioning themselves in a particular place so that they can intercept. So on the, on the Grand, for example, because the Grand like gets Hendrickson's... You, you, the most amazing thing you'll see, you know the Henderson hatch is coming at that time of day. The Canada geese with all their little babies, uh-huh. they'll actually move into a position and wait for the hatch to start because they'll sit there and pick Henderson yeah. as they're coming off. That's insane. I didn't know that. I, didn't, I would never think you'll see it. The geese would, would oh, fish. Absolutely. Would fish. I mean, yeah. absolutely. They go crazy. And especially when you see an, 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 the kind of dense hatches that some of these streams get. Yeah. Those big, long, flat pools, it is a blizzard Jeez. of Hendrickson's. So I'm there. Um, I start to drip an if. Maybe I'll catch a, a small fish right off the bat or what have you. As we get closer to the warm time of day, then you'll start to see, you'll start to see the odd one. Because mm-hmm. Mitch and I just get up at 4, and get up, yeah. of course, get up at 4. So it doesn't matter how but early. But it was, it was in September. So maybe you need to prescribe the concept of the most comfortable time of day theory. Right. Mm-hmm. In fly fishing, especially with mayflies, you have to understand that the most comfortable time of day theory means the most comfortable time of day for you mm-hmm. to be out right. is chances are when you're going to have some kind of insect activity. So let's think about that. So if Henderson, in the spring, two to four, mm-hmm. 
that's usually the most comfortable time of day yeah, in the spring. Yeah, the sun is a bit up, warmer. It's warm. As the season progresses and it gets hotter during the day, the most comfortable time for us to be out is in the evening. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. cooler, the hot, mm-hmm. the insects react the same way. So a wise, holistic approach. A wise fly fisherman would understand that, understand the sort of temperature curve yeah. of the year. Yeah. And you see these guys all the time. They're never in a hurry to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. they're not. They take their time. Oh, the because guys they, that are fishing then? Yeah. yeah they they're just like, know. They yeah. just know. Oh, totally. So Henderson's, I start to have these insects start to pop. Yeah. I start to look for rising fish. Now, where do I start to look for rising fish? Well, I, I look in the natural places where there's velocity changes in the river, a seam and a current, mm-hmm. fast to slow. Fish will sit on that, mm-hmm. and he'll sit in the slow water, and as a, a bug comes down, he'll go up, and he'll get it, and he'll go back down. So. They're, they're, they're human calculators, if you will. They're always calculating the amount of energy they have to expend to take that in. Yeah. So, you know, on these, a lot of these streams, it start, you start to notice splash, 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 splash. Those to me are usually small fish because they're excited yeah. or what have you. Yeah, but you know what? You know, you can start to fish. Um, you can start to fish a dry fly or an emerger if you so happen to like that. Mm-hmm. But then you start to look to the places that you know are associated where there's larger fish, and you start you may see one rise. And this is you know this from just trial and error. Yeah, I mean you just fishing do. the rivers, right? Yeah. You just do. Yeah. yeah. So um, what some fishermen do is they'll sit on a pool. They'll sit on the pool and they'll fish the whole hatch through that course of the day yeah. on that one pool. I am not like that. I like to move. I'm yeah. a, I'm a mover as well. Which is cool. Yeah. I will sit early in the hatch. But when they start to hatch, yeah. I I do what I call run. I start to go from pool to pool to pool to pool to pool to pool, to pool all, all the way as fast as I can, is cover as much water as I can, yeah. and uh, look for fish that are looking up. And you can have reasonable success at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what happens is, is that if you understand the Henderson, it is one of the type of mayflies that actually emerges before it hits the surface. So the sulfurs are the same way. So... As the insect goes up, it splits its back and the wings come out. Most mayflies will go right to the top, split, and then their wings come out. A Henderson actually happens before. So what does that mean? It means that of all the mayflies, it has the highest incidence of stillborn. So what does that mean? It means insects that don't quite make it. So they they don't make it to the surface, so they're floating down. Mm -hmm. Easy meal for the fish. Spinner, right? No, spinner. That's when they die and they come down. So spinner will get to the spinner. So so if you understand that, for me, it's getting closer to 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I switch to a fly, which I call a half and half. So it looks like half a nymph and half an adult. And I fish it wet under the surface, like a dry fly, but wet. Mm-hmm. So there's three. I thought there. Okay, so three stages. There's the nymph, there's the dun, dun and then the spinner. That's right? correct. Okay. So the nymph is the subaquatic stage, yeah. or the, the the aquatic stage. The um, the the dun is the freshly hatched mm-hmm. um, uh, adult. The spinner is the sexually mature mm-hmm. portion. So what happens is is that the dry. when the dun hatches, it goes to the trees, yeah. and its wings are opaque. It has a certain amount of water in it. It doesn't feed. Yeah. It consumes the water amount of water it has, and, that, and that's it. When it, when that water is gone, it hatch, it reproduces and dies, right. yeah. and returns to lay its eggs. So that's the spinner fall that Mitch was talking about. Yeah. Again, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, 
early in the hatch, two to four, like I said, you'll just be fishing duns and you'll be fishing the stillborns and the crap that's left afterwards. Right. Where I go after that, toward the end of that hatch, I'm still on duns, yeah. is I go to eddies. I go to foam patches. That's a huge secret. I didn't want to give that away, but I'm giving it away. <laughs> so I go to foam patches. Why do I do that? That's where all foam the patches, unsuccessful yeah. insects... They, they're all gathering at the same place. So, would, so it is, it's like the foam that you see in the water? If you look closely, mm. you will see that flies foam. that didn't make it mm. stuck in the foam. That foam is... Some of the biggest foam. fish, you'll go and you've got to stare at the foam. You stare at the foam. So you'll see the foam move. Like yeah, you'll see yeah. Right, and if you get your fly in there, chances are those are some of the biggest fish, and they're very smart because those fish, those bugs are all dead. Yeah, so it's yeah. like this easy meal. Easy meal. And these fish are unseen from predators. Ninety percent of the, the people, everybody's looking. Everybody's looking in the middle of the river. Yeah, for and never look at the phone. The clean spot, the pristine. And you, and, typical. And, and and if Vilma looks at the foam, I'll be really pissed off. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I will. We will. I don't want anybody looking in the foam. I'm going to look at the. Foam. Leave the foam alone. I'm only going whatever, to fish foam. Whatever you say, Joe. Next weekend, I'm, I will be doing it for the rest. Of the I've summer. had. I've had. I've been. It's funny. I, at the end of the hatch in the, in the course of the day, I've been standing on a bank with no fly line out, just my leader out, dipping my uh, fly, and I've had guys come by and laugh at me and yeah. say, "Look at the look at the lugan." Yeah, you look like a maniac just sitting like, there. Look at the lugan. <laughs> the biggest the biggest trout will feed. Um, in foam patches. Yeah. So that's it. The day's over. Um, as you progress further into the season, maybe the third weekend or the fourth weekend, or you're now into May, <clears throat> then spinners, usually takes a few days, then spinners become important. Mm. Right? So then you could fish the remnants of the done emergence, which lasts a week or so. And then, you know, around four o'clock, then you have a little bit of time to go back to the car, have a little bit of chicken, a little chablis. Yeah. Then you go back to the river. You, then you find a pool. Then you find a pool. You don't run with spinners as much. Okay. Then you find a pool. You find a pool that you know holds big fish. Um, you find the pools that work better are f- pools that are below a riffle where they're flatter. Like just calm. Because I'll I t- I tell you, a trout sipping spinners, very hard to see. Yeah. Very. They know they're dead. So they're, they're not. Yeah, they don't, fight they for don't it, right? jump out of the water. It's just they a, don't spend it's just that a much energy. Blip, eh? In the water. Huge. Do you, do you find yourself changing your strategy because of the the whole weather change, the whole climate change? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you, you you do notice a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, more often, week, more often that more often, you know, it's the the overall right. uh, thing that you notice. Timelines. Uh, just yeah. The the it affects the water quality. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just it's a completely different thing now yeah. so that's the Hendrickson's yeah that's just one that's one yeah. the next hatch I'd be looking for would be the sulfurs yeah. which are a smaller mayfly but uh, very important a lot of people ignore them and the gray fox great a great a great bug too as well it's a fairly big and then that the one after that which I would say is the the one that people leave their wives over uh, is the green drake, the eastern green yeah. drake, which is Femorella gutellata. Yeah. It's a burrower, which means that the nymph burrows into the silt. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So it's not an important. You can't go fish a green drake nymph the opening day of trout season. It won't matter. The fish won't yeah. see. They won't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're in the mud. They're in the mud. They're not thinking about it. Uh, yeah, it's true. But it traditionally brings up the biggest fish of the year. Really, eh? Bigger than... It, is it bigger than... the green drake. So yeah, so in relation to like a... Because hen, Hendrickson's are big, right? Yeah. Uh, Hendrickson's 12 to 14s. Yeah. Uh, green drakes start to get up into 10. Oh, wow. 10, 12. Oh, wow. But, it, but you, you wouldn't tie it on a, a, a regular size 10 or 12 hook. You would tie it on a long shank, 12, 10 or 12. Okay. Because it becomes too heavy. Yeah, yeah. So there are... Green drake uh, uh, patterns... Um, are a great source of amusement for me because everybody has different ones. Yeah. I have people that tie and they look like a giant cigarette with <laughs> wings on them. And yeah. I have other, everybody has their own secret. Yeah. But it is a giant mayfly, not as big as the hexagenia for sure, but it is a big mayfly. And it is a beautiful, beautiful hatch. Yeah. It's a beautiful hatch. Yeah. And, uh, and I have had some amazing days on it. I've had some bad days. and I've had, It's a very mysterious hatch. And when's that hatch in Southern Ontario? Typically? So usually around the first week of June. So if you understand that the closer you get to the Great Lakes, to Lake, you know, Lake Ontario or Lake Erie, yeah. the hatches are going to be probably a week to two weeks uh, earlier than they are as you go further north. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. So a great example is I will start looking for the Hendricksons, the Ganaraska and those rivers pretty close to the the first week of May, last week of April, and I start looking for them there. As I go further, as I, as I find one, I know, okay, a week later or two weeks later, I can go to this stream, which is further north, and fish the Hendricksons again. Yeah. Then I can go to this stream, which is even uh, two yeah. hours further north. I can actually get Hendricksons for a month and a half. You can follow them up the... Uh... Now, why is that important? Well, that's because I, the fish re- eat that bug, yeah. and I know the hatch, and I know the stages of that. Right? So, again, that's a different way of thinking. Yeah. Right? So, you mentioned north-south. Um, in the south, of course, the actual year. Is there a difference east-west? Uh, there is. Like with the steelhead, there is. Like, the, the yep. run in, on the Ganaraska start earlier than, they do. than the credit. For the hatches, is it the same? It, it is. And the further east you go, the more sterile a lot of those rivers become. But because of the, because of the shield, Canadian shield, the rock... It heats up a lot of the water really quickly. That's how come mm-hmm. you don't find a lot of great trout streams, classic trout streams, you know, as you get closer to Ottawa. Because yeah. those streams heat up really quick because of the rock. There's like no trout streams in Ottawa. Right. It's, it's because those rivers cannot maintain water, you know, that are, it's the right temperature. And then people dump chlorine into, uh, into the creeks too, which doesn't really Yeah, there is that. There is all sorts <laughs> yeah. of, there is all sorts of that. But yeah. I mean, well, they, they the issue is a podcast in itself. Well, I'll give you a well, great example. Yeah. The, the green drake, the femorella gutellata, when I first started fishing, uh, all for that hatch, um, uh, the hatch was very, you know, very robust. Mm. And then all of a sudden it started to decline. Why was it declining? It was disappearing. And people were starting to worry, why is the green drake, the water quality is bad? Well, actually, you know, some of the theories emerging pointed to that. But one of the theories that um, the entomologists from the ROM started to uncover was, it's a burrower. So it burrows into the silt. The farmers have problems with their corn. So they put pesticides on their corn. Now, this pesticide... The way it gets rid of the, 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 the pest mm-hmm. is it attacks its internal organs and 
makes them decay and then the bug dies. Mm. Well, that was getting into the ground yeah, as a result the into the runoff and it gets into the silt. So the green drakes that they were finding, the insides of the green drake nymphs were being totally destroyed. So it hasn't been proven, but it was one of, it's one of the theories. So it goes to show you how something like that can... Have connected everything. Yeah, right. absolutely. How sensitive, how sensitive yeah. to any kind of, any kind of disruptions. Well, it's just, that's like, but that's even like shore development and stuff. Like even, not even with trout, but like at, uh, you know, up at the lake, uh, my parents' cottage, up, you know, yep. in, in the Addingtons there. Um, cottages being built, you see degradation of, of like, the, uh, the fishing. Yeah. Even with just panfish and stuff like that. But, I mean, that's because people are, like, scraping and doing all well, this stuff. Well, you've, right? you've touched on a great thing. You know, fly fishermen get accused of being elitist. You know, yeah. they're stuck up. They're snobs. And it's not really that way. It's just that because if you're going to be a fly fisherman and you're going to be a one that fishes the bugs... You're more t- attuned to your surroundings. Because right. you need these bugs. If they're gone, what do you do? You're turning <laughs> over rocks. You're looking at the water. Yeah. Who yeah. does that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And, you, and when you do that, you observe things in a more, you know, up-close way. Yeah. So um, so that's the other slam against fly fishing, which really bothers me. People often accuse them of being intellects and, they, you know, everybody. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Hey, hey. Yeah, hey. I, think, I think you just, you just have to say, yeah, yeah. We are. <laughs> well, it, I, I think again, it. it's because it's because if you just go down to a river with a fly rod and you just start casting blindly, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. You'll have you may have the odd. You'll be play. lucky. You'll be lucky, <laughs> but you won't have the kind of success if you research it. Um, you know, the first thing I would do for me, like I say, uh, is I would go uh, to a river that you're going to fish and look very carefully at what's under the rocks and in the water. Yeah, you see that all the time in the books, too. Oh, And it's sure. so true, right? Uh, yeah, it was the first page in the child book I bought. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Look under a rock. The other thing, too, yeah. is as well, is that, you know, mayflies, for example, mayfly hatches, the reason why they're so romantic is they tend to be the kind of bug that the most pristine water has. Yeah. Caddisflies uh, become more important in rivers where there's marginal water quality. Yeah. So as you get rivers... Caddis do? Caddis. In dirtier water? So a great example is on... You take the Credit River, for example. Mm. I have noticed in 20 years that the amount of caddis and the importance to the fish has gone up. There was a time where I could not catch very any hardly any fish on a caddis fly because the fish just didn't see them. Yeah. It were more mayfly and stonefly oriented. I have noticed that change. And why is that? That's because the water quality is degrading. Mm-hmm. It just is. It's fine. On the Credit? Well, it is. I mean, it's adaptation. You, know, well, you just feed on something else. That's well, let's more. see what kind of fish we're catching now. So yeah, we yeah, catch. Yeah. We don't catch as many brook trout as we once did. Yeah. Right? Um, and that is because they, you know, brook trout require water. If you can drink, if a, if you can drink that water, brook trout can live in it. That's what I used to do as a kid back home. I never brought any water bottles. Just bend yeah. down in the river. The water. I mean, they're they're really not a trout. They're a char. Yeah. But they are indigenous to the, the, the river. So, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. they're Canada trout, kind of. It is. I, in I, a way. I in have, a way. And I, I, Family, you know, yeah. family-wise. Now, the brown trout gets slammed a lot, especially in Ontario, and I, and I don't understand why. Um, everybody, you know, everybody wants steelhead, which is fine. You can have yeah. steelhead. Uh, every river that runs into Lake Erie and Lake Ontario yeah. and Lake Huron gets steelhead. There's yeah. no shortage of steelhead rivers in Ontario. Yeah. There's a huge shortage of rivers 
that are classic trout streams. The resident, yeah. resident trout. Huge shortage. Yeah. And it's funny. You go to central Pennsylvania and you say to them, hey, wouldn't it be nice to get steelhead coming up here? You guys should build fish ladders. They look at you weird. They cross, what? Like, what are you talking you, yeah. about? Put that shit in my river. It's like, <laughs> what? I love steelhead fishing, but there is no shortage of steelhead rivers in Ontario. Yeah. Plus, why, why fabricate an experience, right? Like, fish mm-hmm. what is supposed to be. Right. Right. Now, brown trout, to me, um, first of all, they can tolerate a wider, uh, wider type of water quality, which is not perfect. They, yeah. they do really well in water that's not perfect. In temperature as well as uh, the quality of the water, so that's a good thing. Which is not the case with other resident. No, no, yeah. they don't. Um, secondly, uh, you know, brown trout, you know, they they tend to look up, if you will, like they they do res- respond well to hatches, and they do exhibit selectivity, right? Um, you know, whereas brook trout maybe not so much. Um, you know, you can get away. They will. I've I've been skunked by brook trout at times, but. Brown trout tend to be more aristocratic in that sense. Plus, brown trout are the fish that came, you know, that the guys fishing the limestones, uh, chalk streams of England, those are the trout that they fish because they were very sporting in that sense. They, um, but, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so you'd say entomology is pretty important to fly fishing then, eh? Well, it depends. It, it depends. I think at the end of it, it sounds pretty well, damn important. It, you know, it's it's <laughs> what you want to do. Yeah. It depends what type. Like you said, there's two types of fishermen. There's the one that... Suggestive? Subjective flies. Imitative. But, yeah, imitative. Yeah. And the imitative. If you want to go imitative, you got to know entomology. You yeah. got to do your homework. Well, I think so. Uh, you know... Uh, well, fly fishing, like the whole point of fly fishing is, is that added challenge, right? It is. We could go to the river with a, a worm and catch a fish. Yeah. But like we do it with a fly fishing rod for X and Y, you know, but to be more, to be more of a, a competitive type thing, there's a, there's more of a challenge there. And so the reward is bigger. It is. It is. And you know what? I've been with fly fishermen many times, especially ones that haven't necessarily spent that much time at it. Um, and there'll be a hatch on, fish will be splashing everywhere and they'll cast their fly at that fish and the fish will splash with their fly and they say, I missed it. Ninety percent of the time, they didn't miss it. They're they're actually refusing your fly. Yeah. So if you will, they they see the fly coming. They see the fly coming. Their momentum goes. They they go to the fly. Their momentum carries them, and then they sl- they put on the brakes, and that splash is actually that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. To the point where, in, in uh, one of the first times I ever uh, noticed that was again fishing Central Pennsylvania. I had a fish rising. Very steady riser, nice fish, about 15 inches. I kept casting and casting, and my casting got really good. And I got the fly right to him, and I set the hook, and I got him. And I landed him, and it was foul hooked in the side of his head. Why is that? Oh, yeah. That's because he refused it, but my cast was really on the money. And I thought, you know, that's yeah. a there's a lesson in there for me. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I remember, you know, having no success in Pennsylvania, and I went to one of the local fly shops, and I... I took my fly box in and I was almost in tears and I thought, I can't catch any fish here. And I opened my fly box up and he said, well, we got no bugs here that look like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 Man, you do not want to see my fly box. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, if you want to catch fish, he said, uh, you want to you wanna sort of look at the bugs a little bit more. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to go in and start counting legs and, yeah. you know, ribs and things like that. But... Yeah. 
you wanna you wanna have some idea of size what's going on. Would be the two main size and su- size and color and type. So a hackled pattern versus mm-hmm. a low riding pattern like a comparida. Yeah, right. Very important because um, I carry both because I've had a fish refuse one and take the other. Right. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So. Um, but and as you get to rivers like the Grand, which is a tailwater, um, you, you know, those fish are fished for a lot. They exhibit a high level of selectivity. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I like that. Well, you know, what's interesting about that too is as the season goes on, trico hatches. Yeah, trico bridges. Yeah. August, right? Kind of like yeah. Towards the fall, uh, I fished those upstate, and that was the most frustrating experience of my life. No, I bet because I had like size eighteen, and they were like not even close to like trying to take my fly it was the worst because i literally had like dozens of brown trout like big like 18 inch fish like just bumping into my legs we talk a lot about uh fly size but you gotta match the leader as well so if you if you have a a size 20 drives but you're using your 4x you you can match the size but well it hurts the presentation there's a huge knot in front of it and well, it, it's funny. Go. It's funny. Uh, going back to the trichorithides for Mitch. Mm-hmm. So here's an example. Here's my trike box. Okay. Here are poly wing trichorithides, and then there are hackled ones with hackle wings. Now, why is that? That's because when an insect spinner is flat on the water, yeah. and this is Vince Marinero yeah. saying this. Who's this guy? Who's Vince? Vince Marinero is one of the, uh, the great angling authors okay. um, of all time. Yeah. Uh, the wing lays on the water, and the ribs in the wing make a make a certain impression in the water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hackle, tied flat and spent, uh-huh. emulates that better than poly. Because the tension on the water, right? That's right. Right. Now, a poly one, if the water was a little broken, yeah. and, you know, they actually float really well, and they'll work well. Yeah. But if I'm fishing for really selective fish, and I've had that, yeah, where I've had them cool. refuse a poly wing one, but then they put on one with a flat hackle. Yeah. On calm it. water. On calm water. Yeah. Absolutely. Jesus. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so again, those are the kind of things that you learn um, as the dunce hat gets smaller on yeah. your head. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. We'll see what happens. I guess this. Season. I could just see the three of you guys leaving the water uh, opening day, and you look. You'll look at uh, Yelma there, and he'll have a <laughs> he'll have a small dunce hat. Yeah. No, it's big. Man. You'll have a big dunce I'll hat. I'll have a big dunce hat for sure. <laughs> yeah? He's swinging mice. You guys will all be looking yeah. at each other. You go, ah, it's a nice dunce hat. A- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would always know at the end of the day. I'll have the mother hat, <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll all get scum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I have different hats, but no that's bitch. Well, that's fine. Hey, listen. <laughs> Forty years, and uh, I can still go to be skunked in certain situations. I once bought these plastic wings that had veins in them because I thought, wow, this is this looks like the real thing to me. Yeah. So I tied a, a coffin fly, which is the spinner for the green drag hatch, cast it. Nothing. Are you kidding me? It's like the fish were out there laughing, smoking cigarettes, and looking at me <laughs> like, what is? Look at this guy. Bother? It's like, what is that? It's like an yeah, indicator. Yeah. It is the. It is. It is. Now you can you can certainly have uh, artificial materials that exhibit properties in the water that look good, mm-hmm. but um, it is more you know hackle you know various hairs and things like that 
they they behave the pro they imitate things in the proper way. Mm -hmm. So, but you can still poly is a is a you know, antron is hugely important when it yeah. comes to caddis flies. Yeah, uh, you know. So, no, but I like yeah, these synthetic material they're used in the way the same way as like natural material. But yeah. like I'm talking about like some you can buy a poly yeah. there's there's like uh, legs attached to it. Yeah, and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> I, again, yeah, I'll give you a great example. Uh, one of the hatches we have here later in the summer, which is very important, called the Isonikia. Mm -hmm. So the Isonikia is a pretty, pretty juicy mayfly. Um, and uh, early when I started fishing that, I fished whirl wolves. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. They, they, I had some success in with Michigan it. Told you. <laughs> yeah, it could be, and that, but I would catch the odd fish on it, and I thought this is not making any sense to me. Why? I'm... So I went and read. I read Art Flick's book, Streamside Guide, mm -hmm. and in there he had a series of flies called variants. So the variants are wingless patterns, right? And uh, and I, and I started reading about it, and I thought, well, there's no wing, but the Isonikia has a big wing. Why is why would he? Why would it work? Yeah. So I tied one, and I went down to my local stream during the Isonikia hatch, and uh, I went out in the afternoon, I lit a cigar, I started walking around, I didn't see any fish rising, but I thought, well, I'm just going to start casting. I came up to the first pool, I cast a variant. It's like someone threw a rock in. Mm. I hooked a fish that was over two pounds. It broke me off, because I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Holy <laughs> crap. That's crazy. I thought, what the hell's going on here? Uh -huh. what, what, what? It was a fluke. I kept walking up the stream that day, and I had one of the best days of my whole life fly fishing with this wingless fly that was tied in the 50s. <laughs> Why is that? The light impression that that pattern made yeah. on the water looked like the insect. So, and it took me a while to figure it out, but I was sitting there having my cigar, looking at the water, looking at this fly, thinking, "Why is this working?" And then it occurred to me. The, imp the pattern that this fly made on the water reflected on the bottom. So when the, 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 it was floating along, uh -huh. you could see yeah. the pattern on the bottom that the light impression it was making. Now, why is that important? The Isonikia is a sporadic hatch. One here, one there, yeah. really? one there. Yeah, it's so not, it's not on mass, right? So fish is sitting there on the bottom. It sees this weird impression floating down the stream on the bottom first. And then it, it's alerted to look up. And then it sees, oh, there it is. Yeah. And then it goes up and it hits it. Yeah. Right? So uh, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, wood duck in wings or wings. <coughs> CDC? Yeah, CDC works really well, too. That's a great path. That's a great material. Um, but, it, you know, there are two schools in that world where wingless flies um, can work as good as flies with wings, depending on the kind of water you're on. Right? But um, that's a secret pattern for me. That's the done variant there. Oh, okay, okay. I see. No wings. I see what you mean. Oh, yeah. See how big the hackle is? Yeah. People that's skates very... these too as well, eh? They do. I have skaters in a box around here. Skaters are really big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it kind of looks like a skater. But, but that fly on, on, you know, on, yeah. on rivers that have the ice in Ikea, amazing. And the nice thing about that hatch is because it's sporadic, is you don't have to be there at an exact time. You can go after yeah. work, tie one of those on, leisurely walk down the stream, fish likely water, and you will catch fish. And for those of you at home listening, that's just a full hackle dry fly. 
Yeah, it's it's actually to be honest with you, you could you could tie it. It's hackle tail, hackle fibers tail, a um, stripped quill for the body, and then hackle for the wing. I mean, for the hackle for the uh, the thorax. Very, very simple. It is very simple, and like I say, if you want to know more, I would go and read Art Flick's Streamside Guide. Yeah, it's good. It's pretty comprehensive. Well, here it is here. Yeah, I took a picture of everything. So we, um, <laughs> yeah, nice. we talked about books a lot. Um, we, uh, most of the books are written in this in the United States, Pennsylvania. You said a lot of influence there. Um, how can we relate as Ontarian fly fishermen to these books? Because I'm sure the ash right. are different, or well, they not they, happening at the same time. Ephemeralis avaria is Ephemeralis avaria. Mm-hmm. It may the shade may alter. And how it acts, how it looks, all that stuff is similar. It's it's going to behave the same way, right? So that's how you do that. The other thing is too is there's this phenomena that happens in Ontario. If you look at the Catskills, the Niagara Escarpment, which runs through Ontario all the way up to the tip of uh, Bruce Peninsula, mm-hmm. actually as a spine runs all the way down into upstate New York. And all the streams that come off the escarpment through all the way to the Catskills have similar hatches. Then the Catskills. If you fall, if you, all you did was say, okay, I'm going to go and fish all these streams that are near the escarpment all the way up. Yeah. Chances are they will have very, very similar bugs. Okay. It's a unique thing, but it's, it's something that I've observed. Maybe in terms of latitudes, maybe it's similar or something like this. I think, I think it's that. I also think it's the uh, the chemistry of the water yeah. that comes from that. The right? geology. Some the same, geology. Same, probably same kind of rocks. It is. I mean, it's it's not exact, but it's close. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and, and, you know, like I think there's points in that book that might be specific to the that river, but there's still, you know, some kind of thing you can take away to, to apply to wherever you're fishing, right? Well, if, yeah, and if you look at it's the style of flies that they're tying to work, yeah. they, there's a certain philosophy that's exhibited in there. Yeah. Right. Yoma. Hi. You've been talking about getting a glass rod. Yeah, so... This is the new Echo, right? Yeah. Glass? Is it uh, no, it's not. It's Fenway. Fenway There's glass. a whole bunch. There's yeah, a movement there's a... in glass rods. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What Why? do you think about that? Well, what, do you want to, what do you want to get a glass rod for? Well, I just want to get better at casting. To be honest, I just want to find my my fit. So that's basically it. What's the sensation of glass rods? Well, they're a little slower, not not drastically slower, a little slower, a little softer, perhaps. Yeah, softer is a good word. And there's that; those are good qualities to have in a sport where we're supposed to be relaxing. True. <laughs> that's true. Eh? Which I'm the complete opposite now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want something super fast, and I move fast, and everything. Yeah, and frankly, you know, uh, a great example is if you want to look at fly rod design in general. So let's go back to England. Mm -hmm. And there is wet fly fishing, which is casting down and across. And then there is dry fly fishing, which is casting up. Mm -hmm. So the two styles of casting are different. One is you're fall casting a lot, and you're shooting upstream, and you're picking up line, and you're, you're... that tends to favor rods which are faster. Yeah. Downstream, down and across, a little slower, not a lot of false casting. Pick it up, mm-hmm. throw it out 45 degrees, let it swing through. 
those rods tend to be, you know, historically they tended to be softer and slower. So a glass rod is kind of in the middle. Okay. It kind of does a little bit of both. Oh, wow. There you go. Right? It, so it is a diverse rod. It's it, good it, for... It's kind of a compromise, right? Yeah. You could get a big old bamboo rod that's slow and fish downstream, but if you're going to be casting to rising trout upstream, it's going to be slow and it's yeah, not yeah. going to work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Same if you take a, a very fast rod and you're casting down and across. Yeah. Not going to be the most fun thing uh, to sort of pick up and throw out line and swing. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. Glass rods in the middle. And that's probably why they were very popular in the time because fly, you had fly fishing then, you had dry fly fishing, and you had wet fly fishing, right? In the old days, even further back, you had just wet fly fishing yeah. here, here in North America. So, And then graphite came the other way, right? Graphite was very fast, very efficient, very light, um, and, uh, and as a result, um, you know, how much faster and how much lighter do you want? So yeah. you can't feel the rod at all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you can't bend it. Yeah. Or it's yeah. floating. Yeah, you got to be able to load it. Yeah. You know, it's a great example is too, as well, if you, if you, if you understand that, um, you know, Vince Marinero, for example, uh, everybody thinks that fishing, meadow streams with tiny flies you want to fish a two-weight rod that's really light his view was the opposite he wanted to fish an eight-weight he wanted to fish a big heavy rod now why is that because on those meadow streams a lot of times it's windy mm. and that's when fishing is going to be good because it's blowing a lot of stuff into the stream so he wants to be able to cast with authority his fly precisely precisely and a little light rod would not do that now yeah. that's not me that's vince marinero and there's a that's a good philosophy yeah, but I yeah, think glass so. is a great compromise down the middle, okay. uh, if you wanna if you wanna do that. Right? I think you, and I think right now it's like you know, it's nice to keep your options open. Oh, uh, you know what? I'd like to fish. There are days where I like to fish a wet fly and swing a fly mm-hmm. in a traditional way I love for trout. I love it. It's you know, it's, it's a, a very yeah. relaxing way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a glass rod allows you to sort of enjoy that if that's so you choose. Yeah, uh, cool. you could do it with graphite too, but not quite the same. Different. Okay, so then bamboo. Then how does bamboo fit into this equation? Well, bamboo for me as a material, um, if you if you understand that, uh, it is there's an aesthetic that comes with bamboo. Um, the when a, you know, for example, I was told that when you hook a fish with a bamboo rod, everything was more vivid. You could feel the fish shaking its head, uh, and I thought, well, that's bullshit. And then I got my first bamboo rod. And lo and behold, I did I did notice that difference. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I have some bamboo rods that uh, are really really soft. Mm-hmm. And uh, in I remember one particular case uh, where I was fishing uh, on a river in a foam patch, and there was a large brown trout pulling down so many bugs. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to catch him. I went and I cast nothing. I couldn't catch the Every He was around my fly. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I fiddled with my flies. I finally found a pattern that for whatever reason, the light impression was right in the foam. I cast it down in there. He took it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he immediately ran out of the foam patch into the main current, into the deep water. And if I would have had a graphite rod, it would have broke my line. Wow. Mm. But because of the rod I had at that particular case was really soft. More forgiving. Mm-hmm. It survived that first blistering run, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I was able to sort of recover and gain the fish and land it. It was 21 inches. 
Jesus. Jesus. Wow, that's a nice resident. Yeah. So is that similar to, to glass then? Same sort of... It is, except that um, it, it tends to be... Uh, it just tends to be a little heavier. Okay. Right? There's a there's a weight you get to it. Now, you can buy a hollowed rod if you want, a hollowed bamboo rod, but they tend to be a little faster when mm-hmm. they're hollow. Um, I like I like a little weight, a little mass in the rod. Right. Right. And then within bamboo, there are uh, hex rods, which are six-sided. Okay. There's pent rods, which are five-sided. Yeah. And then there are quads, which are four-sided. Okay. So before we even get into that, when did you start? You, you build fly, you build bamboo rods. Well, what happened was, is that many years ago, when I was a, a young, struggling man in advertising, yeah. uh, to get a good bamboo rod, it was $1,000 back then. Yeah. So, uh, so I did buy one. But I wanted more. Yeah. And I thought, well, I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah. So I had some friends that sort of decided the same. They wanted to get into it. So we started figuring out how we were going to make one. We ordered some bamboo. Yeah. We, uh, you know, made a lot Shoot, of mistakes. Like bamboo shoots. Bamboo columns, yeah. Yeah, columns, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we started, started making them. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So we, uh, and to this day, you know what, uh, we, you know, I make them for myself. I will occasionally sell them, but more often than not, no. I, it's yeah. it's it's not why I build them. Mm-hmm. Right? I build them for Spend myself. Spend a lot of time doing that, so you want to enjoy them. Yeah, it's you know about 40, 40 to fifty hours okay. you put oh, into yeah, one. Okay. You know, sometimes less, sometimes more, depends, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the process then begins with, like you said, yeah, you get your column, um, you split your column. Uh, if you're going to make it dark brown like that, you flame your column. Okay. Um, yeah, we're looking at a few different rods right now on the table, and uh, one of them is dark wood, one of them is a lighter wood, and so for the dark, you just you would, you would flame, flame it, it and uh, burn the column. And the benefit of that is well, aesthetic. It, it's aesthetic, but some people would say it makes for a crisper rod. Yeah, um, it, it depends. Well, because right? it's solidified. Uh, yeah, it just it, it just it, it yeah, yeah. There's a whole science up. behind it that I'm not going to get into. But, no, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, you split the column. Yeah. And uh, you, what you want to do is you want to get pieces split, and you want them to be in succession, yeah. right? Yeah. So that when you glue them back together, it's the same way they came off the comb. Right. You have uh, a form which has a V in it, yeah. and it's adjustable. So you can make it thicker at one end and thinner at the other end. It's a taper. It's a sixty. De- it's a sixty degree angle, yeah. uh, and you begin to make an angle triangle. And then uh, once you make the triangle and it's tapered to the right uh, particular taper that you want, um, you glue them together. You, uh, you know, dip them in varnish, wrap guides on them, put cork on them, go down the river and have a good time. Oh, there you go. And so you said that there's hex, penta, pentagon, and the the quarters, right? The the quad, the four-sided. Quad. So six-sided, which is the most common. Yeah. Five-sided. And six-sided. And you'll okay. see there's only here, there's a quad, which is the four-sided. It looks square. Yeah. Mm. That's four pieces. Yeah, 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 And the other one is six pieces, six-sided. What okay. would be the difference between uh, the, in the actions? Between so the-, uh, the actions in four-sided, uh, although it can be lighter, it just has, it, it's just fewer pieces. And they will tell you that you have opposing casting planes. So you have, you have two pieces it, the rod tends right. to cast more, like up, like in a straight in a more line. straight line. Okay, okay. It, it's not it's it's not that obvious, but 
it, it's there. It's the geometry of it. Yeah. Whereas six-sided tends to be closer to what we we know, which yeah. is uh, circular rods. Yeah, right. Around, like um, but uh, it's, it's just it's bamboo is just a great feeling, and yeah. you know, fly fishing is all about aesthetic, and uh, it's just it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I've got one of your rods, and it's the only rod that I use for trout uh, because I've kind of become accustomed to it. When I started using it, it was just like you know I just wanted to use this rod for trout. But now it's like I've got the feeling for it, and when I use a graphite rod, it feels weird. Yeah. It feels way too light and because it's, it's lighter and, and faster, yeah. And it's just yeah, it's like I have I have a tough time fishing with it because most of the year I'm using that that one bamboo rod to fish for trout. The one that you've broken. The one that I have <laughs> maimed. That I have to repair. In the line, in the line of you know, my, in my line of Mitch. duty on the river. But it was a good river. It was in the Sailor River, upstate New York, and I, I was looking at a bird and I uh, tripped on a rock and I cracked it. That's we, what's uh, I've got to get you to fix we, it. Uh, my friends and I, who they're all fish bamboo rods, we have this saying that uh, when you catch a brown trout, um, the soul of that trout goes into that rod. Mm-hmm. So when we see each other and we hold each other's rods, we'll say, oh, this feels like it's got a lot of souls in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and only a bamboo rod can capture the soul of a trout. Absolutely. It's porous. <laughs> well, that's just, that's something that, uh, it's a great, it's, it's a great thing amongst friends. To it's say. a great say. No, absolutely. And it feels so true because my, my rod doesn't have a lot of souls in it, but it's got a lot of wear. So each crack is a different story for me. Yeah. yeah. That was upstate six years ago. Oh, that was the that trout that I saw, and I freaked out and fell. You know, <laughs> it's like my. But there's something nice about that. Yeah. My graphite rods is four years, mm-hmm. and I got three different tips on it. <laughs> the last three summers, there's a different tips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's one of those things that um, bamboo rods have have, have, a, have a new have emerged. There's suddenly, a lot of people are interested in bamboo rods again, and uh, and 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 glass. And I think that's good. I think that there's. Uh, you know, an aesthetic that's attached to both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, there's a, I have right here, I have a, a glass rod from the 70s. I know. Um, and uh, what weight is that? This is a six weight. Oh, nice. Six weight. Oh, yeah, cool. Right on. Yeah, it does look like it's from the 70s. Right? <laughs> it is. Garcia. Looks kind of like a bait casting rod. Well, they, that's the way they used to do them, right? They used to tie them all that way. They used do you to do fish this rod? Yeah, I fish that rod for God, sure. Feels I got like a big so nine weights. Uh, I have one of those too. Nine weights. Nothing wrong with that. My it dad gave so me when I moved to Ontario. It was like, it's like I just now you need that. something <laughs> big. <laughs> that's so funny. So this rod feels like I could break it with my hand. Uh, like just grasping it. You probably could Good break it with your hand for sure. It's so fragile feeling. And you can fish that for bass. Uh, I would. That's a trout rod. I love right. how you keep the plastic on your cord. Well, that because that them. because that rod that rod there is worth money now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's a good idea. That's cool. Wow. So, what kind of reels would you pair with uh, with your bamboo rods? I noticed that we, we were looking at some of the uh, like peerless reels, right? Yeah. Well, they're you know the the, uh, the best reels I think uh, are the, the sort of single action English reels like the old Hardies. Those are classic trout like reels. The closed one? Uh, okay. the, uh, the, you know, like the... Uh, They've got the die cuts in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it's, it's on top of the uh, the shelf there. You can see it. Like a, like a, a hardy featherweight. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's a very classic uh, and very simple. It's a click click and pull reel. Yeah. Um, Which is I, what a trout reel should be, right? 
Yeah, I, I think so. Basic. Uh, I, you know, Mind holder. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, in most cases, unless, you know, there are people out there that, you know, like more modern technology, and I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I, I like simpler, older reels. There's a sound to the click, you know? Yeah. The click on my first reel was like out of this world, but it was a plastic reel from Walmart. Well, you have yeah. uh, you actually now <laughs> you have, have a, a raised yeah. pillar, you have a raised pillar reel from Bill Bowen. Bill, yeah, Bill Bowen, yeah. Well, that's a great I, reel. I love that reel. Again, I use the hell out of it too. It's a handmade bench reel. It's an amazing yeah. reel. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's great on bamboo because it's got that. It's a bit heavier. It is. That's so it right. matches the the weight of the rod. Well done. Yes. Yeah, which is awesome. But you know, we also use a lot of those, like for steelhead. Yeah, fishing. You use peerless as well. Well, I like again. I like the older reel. Um, and for they, they, in my opinion, they balance a fourteen foot rod because mm-hmm. you know, a sixteen ounce reel will will balance a fifteen foot rod mm-hmm. really much better. Yeah. Right? Steelhead's a whole other conversation. For well, yes, and uh, you know, I'm here. I sit across <laughs> from a man. Here, I sit across from a man. I would say there's a handful of people in Ontario that caught a steelhead on a pure dry line. A pure dry line. I'm not talking about any sink tip. I'm not talking about anything. <laughs> what up? I'm I have, talking. I have. I I'm, don't use sync tip. I'm talking about a man who cast in a classic way across the stream, swung the fly, mm. and caught a mint chrome fish from uh, uh, one of the one of the Great Lakes streams here in Ontario. That was impressive. It was dope. That was insane. Uh, when I was holding the thing, I remember. I remember it was it was freaking out. Jumped over my shoulder back into the river before we get a picture. Mm. But I was, uh, you know, it was like I'd just been baptized. I think I fell in the water and came out a new man. No, I know you were. I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, you since I'll then. be honest with you there. He was actually dazed. Oh, yeah. yeah he, no, was, he was, he was, he he was incoherent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Couldn't was, function properly. I can't believe I made it all. I was driving like an angel. Yeah, he had, and... It was, uh, it was awesome. It was a beautiful fish. Yeah. And yeah. it was like, I wasn't thinking of it. Because it was later on in the day, you know. It was, it was, it was, it was late in the day, but it was still right. There was people walking yeah, dogs. Yeah. But was, we had been out for a few hours. Yeah. And we got was, a salmon. Yeah. We got a salmon. Rare. Yeah. Which is rare in and that then, particular watershed. And in your case there, um, if I would have said to you, Mitch, go down there right now, Cass, you'll get a 12 pound chrome steelhead. You would have said, no way. Yeah. No, totally. It's sunny or it's yeah. this and it's that. Yeah. But it, it was, it, again, with steelhead, it's all about taking lies. It's all about knowing if you're going to fish with a swung fly, yeah. it's all about where those fish, the current speed produces the right teasing speed for a fish to hit the fly. And they're the same on the river every year. The fish will be in that place. There'll be fish all over the river. Yeah. But the one that hits, they'll be it, in the same place. Yeah. Because of the, and you should know, you come from Quebec mm-hmm. and the great salmon rivers of Quebec. Which I've never really fished for Atlantic salmon. Well, and if you go, if you go to fish. I caught one once, it was an accident. The Gaspé, <laughs> the river, the pools are all named and they're all the same because mm-hmm. historically that is where the fish hit a fly that, that way. Mm-hmm. And, and they're still there today. Oh, absolutely. These, um, there's a, you have to, not rent it, but you have to go on a, yeah. Yeah. How do you call it? Uh, yeah, you, guy, you have to go. You have to go. You have you have to uh, go into a lottery. Lottery, oh, lottery. Yeah, yeah. That's the word I was. On. Yeah, but it's but you know what? It's I, I highly recommend that I, we have some of the greatest salmon fishing in the world in Quebec. Yeah, and you used to use fish uh, Gaspé. Gaspé, uh, I have fished in New Brunswick as well. Have I you been to the North Shore? 
No, I have not. Oh. I'd like to go to the North Shore. It's, um, yeah. I've, I've been to the North Shore before for trout, yeah. not for a kind of salmon. Yeah. No, I, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah, I fish the Restigouche. I fish uh, I fish in front of Joseph Poolisher's cottage on the Restigouche. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, right on. And, uh, oh, you got your, your, your pool there? Uh, no, I don't have a pool there. I, I it, uh, it was just, I was invited. I had a friend who told me, he said, you know what? It's the hard part isn't going. The hard part's getting invited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't kind of just show and up. And he said, if you get invited, you can't ask how much it's going to cost. <laughs> yeah. So a bill comes at the end of the week, and it's like, holy smokes! Like, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> wife's going to kill me. Well, that, that, there was that. But, uh, <laughs> but it is Atlantic salmon fishing uh, is a completely different world altogether, and uh, and I think Quebec is a very lucky place because it's the, the greatest rivers i think and it's a huge there's so much water there there is and yeah. they protect it yes they, and they do. care about it too like they, yeah. they're not like down here where they're you know stalking atlantics and the credit well uh, you know that's another word a can of lots, lots, of <laughs> or, or lots of techniques or lots of techniques that you see here they're like, banned to get there. back to the trout because we've gone steelhead which we're going to talk about but let's save that conversation for August, when we'll come back and we'll interview that steelhead season. Yep. Um, we fished the credit last year and we were catching Atlantic Samophar and we thought they were trout, brown trout, smelt or whatever. But um, they were, they were. Atlantic. What do you think about Atlantic Salmon in the credit, in the upper credit? Well, uh, what's your uh, opinion on so, that? So, you know, first of all, I, I applauded the idea of trying to do that, of trying to reintroduce a fish that was no longer there. Um, but not to the exclusion of the fish that have naturalized and are there. Like I said, uh, Atlantic salmon are agronomous fish. They're a fish that live in the lake and then return to the river to spawn. In Ontario, there is no shortage, as I told you. Every yeah. river that runs into... Has an agronomous fish. Has an agronomous fish. And for me, I got to fish the, uh, you know, the credit, for example. I had to fish the credit and the Wilmot mm. before they tried to reintroduce that fish. And it was a very great experience. It was more of a classic situation where you had brook trout and brown trout. Um, and those fish, I got to fish the way that I had always read fishing, fly fishing mm -hmm. as a you know, stream trout, uh, reacting to hatches. The introduction of Atlantic salmon and par, and Atlantic salmon par, yeah, but it, you know, they'll displace them over time. I mean, you know, one fish is going to be one fish is going to go down and one fish is going to go up. The other thing, too, is the water quality on the credit is de degraded to the point where Atlantic salmon just don't do well. Yeah, yeah. I took my daughter fishing in the same, you know, I took her in July and she caught an Atlantic salmon par and sh the fish died. Yeah. Because the water, the, it couldn't take the stress of the heat of the water and being caught. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, well, what do they expect these things to grow really big and then be heading up to the forks? Well, I think that's the. I think the idea is is they have this vision where you're going to have a thriving population of Atlantic salmon like they did a hundred years ago or whenever was it was. It well, it was there was Atlantic salmon in Lake Ontario, but let's think about this. There's for also a whales in Ottawa like five hundred years ago. Yeah, well, that's a great. It's <laughs> a great. Champlain sea. It's a great comment, you know. Yeah. So the question is, is you know you know, is, is that the right thing to do? It's like, well, it is, but not to the exclusion of what's already there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Let's get, let's remove all the brown trout so that we can, we can reintroduce the brook trout and we can reintroduce the Atlantic salmon. Is that the right thing to do? Yeah, why not try to maintain like the great stuff that we have now? Well, and if you look at it, the brown trout actually does better 
in the kind of water quality that the credit has right now, yeah. which is not pristine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You can't bend over and drink that water. No, you can't. <laughs> so It's not a bad thing, right? Well, it's not. It's, it's what it is. It's just different. If it's we choose yeah. to live the lives we have, which yeah. is develop the land, yeah. build malls, which is fine. Yeah. You know, I go to the mall. Let's yeah. look. Then we have to look at the water quality that we have and say, okay, what do, what what is there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. And how can we maintain that? How can we maintain that, and how can we make that fair? Yeah. yeah. Right. It goes back to catch and release. Yeah. I think catch and release is great, but I also love to catch a trout and eat it. Yeah. If there is no shortage of trout, I will gladly harvest a fish and eat it. Mm-hmm. But I there are very few rivers in Ontario where that doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, it, so it's a problem without question in that regard. But I, I like I say, I lament the credit. It's not the river it once was, mm-hmm. and reintroducing Atlantic salmon to me. I don't know necessarily if it's going to be the, the best thing over a, a, a long period of time. Yeah. Um, it was nice to go down to the credit at one time and if you saw a fish rising, you knew it was a brown trout. Yeah. Nowadays, it could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a sucker for that matter. They do rise. Very well I've put, my it. friend. Very well put. As the water quality degradates. <laughs> yeah, 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 suckers come in. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what. <clears throat> if you go down and some of these streams, you have chub rising, you don't have a lot of brown trout. You don't have a lot of predator fish in that river. Yeah. Right? Because they're not scared. Uh, well, that was the one that thing. they're brave. When I was a young guy and I started fly fishing, I would go to a stream. If I caught chub, I knew there wasn't a lot of brown trout. There were a lot of trout in the river. Yeah. There was some, but not a lot. When I went to the credit, I couldn't catch a chub. Why was that? That was because it had a healthy population of predatory-sized fish, right? That maintained that maintained the population, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, like I say, uh, good luck to them with the Atlantic salmon, but... I, I don't, I don't, I, I think, how long are we going to go? Yeah. Are we going to go for another 20 years, another, another stock, another million fish? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. It's a, yes, it is great, but not in the detriment of other species that are so great. Well, yeah. Catch, you know? But like I said, every river at a certain point from, uh, you know, if you go north up to Flesherton, all the rivers run into Lake Ontario. And then... The, the, on the other side of that, they all run into Lake Huron. Every one of those rivers gets fish running from the lake in them. Yeah. yeah. Every one of them. Oh, yeah, man. Even from like salmon, brown trout, steelhead. Belleville gets some steelhead, too, sometimes. Yes, they, Rare. They, they all do. I know of Rare. ditches. Oh, yeah. I know of ditches that go into Lake Ontario, and it gets a run of steelhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah. Well, even look at Wilmot. It's like well, Wilmot. Yeah. I grew. I like. I didn't grow up there, but I did fish there quite a bit. Yeah. And that's a river that, in my opinion, as well, um, huge amounts of steelhead yeah. and whatever that runs up there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, like I say, I you know what I I, I like both kinds of fishing. Yeah. But the credit to me, if you look at Ontario and you look at the history of fly fishing in Ontario, the credit, especially the forks of the credit, yeah. very important. Very important. A lot of angling writers. Uh, Ernie Schriebert fished the credit. Vince Marinero fished the credit. Very important stream. And yet, it has all these different points of view. We're going to introduce all sorts of fish um, to try and... For what? Right? Uh, It doesn't seem... Maybe we should just keep it to what it works. Well, you can pull off... Yeah, you can pull out all the dams and then let happen what happens. (laughs) You know, go ahead. Yeah. 
but uh, for me, uh, it's a sad, sad state of affairs. I, the credit is not the river it once was. Um, and it's not about reintroducing fish. It's about going and improving the water quality. Yeah. Well, I think I just saw a blue jay. You saw a blue jay? Yeah. Oh, look at that. I better not see you near a foam patch. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one person here, it might be me. That's I, be I won't Saturday. if you're here, Joe. If you're there, I won't. Yeah. But when you're not there, oh no, we'll I we'll be in the phone. We'll go out together. We'll go together, yeah. and uh, I'm excited for that. yeah, we'll go out together. And you know, I, I think that the big thing for me uh, is note is 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 recognizing what's happening. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the water and something is happening, and I have no idea what the hell it is. The great success comes when you go, okay, I get this. I know what's happening mm-hmm. and I can react to it. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I think, I think as people that lives in the city and then we go out in the weekend, sometimes we're a little too hurried. You know, yeah. you get oh, to, man. Well, like we, we, we almost said it perfectly when we show up at like 4 a.m. and guys are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, like, why are they leaving? We're like suiting out. Most comfortable time of day theory when it comes to yeah. uh, you, you, you think about that. I don't want to yeah. be rushing to fish. I if you think that. about July, it's uh, well, what, like 25 degrees. Yeah. So you're looking for, great. you're looking, if you're, 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 the big tip here for, for you guys is you're looking for low 50s mm-hmm. yeah. in the water. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be when you start to get some good insect activities. Then the next golden number is low 60s. That's when the green drakes, that's when the, 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 that. Yeah. Right. So, where do you find green drakes? Well, there's a lot of streams that have green drake hatches. I'm not going to tell you which they which ones they are. Yeah. Off the air, right. maybe. <laughs> you know what? Let's just find it out. Let's just find out. Joe found out. Joe found out. We got to find so out. We'll we give him a couple stars. Uh, the green drake hatches. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. next weekend we're going to go fishing. We're going to hit the forks. Yes. We what need flies to. do we bring? What do I get? I need to go to the, to the fly shop, pick up some flies or tie some. What do I need? Well, uh, so. Uh, this time of year, I would probably be fishing, you know, a hare's ear. Okay. Stoneflies, depending yeah. on which stream. If you go to the Grand yeah. and you fish stoneflies, you're not going to catch anything. It's too early, right? Well, there's no stoneflies on the Grand. Or yeah. There's no so stoneflies, substantial stoneflies. They're, oh, right. they're small ones. Sporadically. Yeah. But uh, they're not like the golden stones or the brown stones. Yeah, right. Upstate, it's stone, like tons of stone right. and uh, caddis. Right. Yeah, same same way, same with Quebec where I fish. It's caddis and 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 stoneflies. And you know what? You know there are certain you know certain uh, fly fishermen who will uh, opening day they'll fish worm patterns. Yeah. You know chamois worm patterns, which yeah. are you know tied with uh, I can't remember the material, but it looks like a worm. Yeah, in the water. it's like a yeah. fuzzy kind it's of weird. foamy. Uh, weird. Weird. Row patterns yeah. work really well. Even uh, for resident. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Really? So if I tie on a rope? Well, I understand this. Understand this. So one of the species that that spawns around opening is the sucker. Yeah. That's true. And, uh, you know, yeah, sucker spawn patterns? Gold. I guess it's easy food. It's drifting down and... It's it is. It is. But also, if the water's high enough, you know, like I say, there's a lot of dislodging going on, yeah. right? You know, a lot of that going on. Um, but it, you know, a lot of people get skunked opening day, like uh, for resident trout. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens next Saturday, but we're gonna. 
Well, it's it, it's going to be crowded. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're not fishing. That's why, that's why we're not going this that's weekend. Like, yeah. And the water's no, low, right? I don't have my glass rod. Well, that's the most important. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't looked at the river, but I, I'm assuming that the water is not as high. Yeah. Which, again, you know, is that a good thing? Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, it's like last year because the water was not high. Mm-hmm. I had great success on blue winged dolls, but not on the dry on the nymph. Mm-hmm. On a size 16, I caught a fish that was over 20 inches. Yeah. Which historically I never would have done. Yeah. Usually you would have fished big stonefly nymphs and drifting muddler minnows on the bottom, which are sculpin patterns, mm-hmm. right? Um, again, that's the other thing. People will strip a sculpin um, when yet what they should be doing is dead drifting along the bottom. Yeah. 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 True, because their bottom feeders, they, they go with the current yeah. Yeah. heads yeah. up and then go down Caught a lot of way. fish that way. A lot yeah. of fish. With the sculpin just kind yeah. of... Right but if you're way. asking me what I would do... Yeah, what are you doing for a trip? Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, well, I'll probably wait till all you guys go home and, and I'll go down to the river. And, uh, what if we never leave? Show, yeah, what if we yeah. get there at four and uh, leave at nine? Human nature, you guys will be toast. Be, yeah, they <laughs> will. They will. I can stay there for. We'll be off. I, 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 I get You know what? I'll probably do. I'll probably show up. I'll turn over some rocks. I'll take a water temperature. You know, maybe just with my hand, and I'll have a rough idea because I I have a rough idea of what rough roughly fifty yeah. degrees is like. Um, and uh, because I've fished a lot of this water for many, many years, I tend to know roughly where to look. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, like anything, you're always going out early. You're always going looking for dry flies, right? But it's going to be a bit too early probably for it. But if you look in the eddies and you look in the foam patch. Yeah. So next weekend, if I use if I use a streamer next weekend, Joe, are you gonna hate me for it? No, I okay. think I think you, if you know what, if the water is of sufficient level, yeah. streamer may work. But if the water is clear and not necessarily, mm-hmm. you probably won't have a lot of success. Be more selective. Yeah. There's just there's you know after a rain the water comes up and it's dirty. There's gonna be a lot of dislodged minnows and yeah. stuff. So yeah. yeah, a streamer will work. Yeah. Oh, I see. But you know. A minnow that's smart. If the water is clear and you can see the bottom, it's not going to cross the river to go on the other side. No, hey, it's going to stay in the dark and the, uh, be very wary. Yeah, uh, when the water's dirty, I have fished crayfish, crayfish patterns for yeah. brown trout. Mm-hmm. Wow, right? uh, because it only makes sense. Yeah, yeah, right. So they can see it. Well, it's just crayfish. The water comes up right, really high. Around. They get blown downstream. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. If you, and like I say, that's the way fish are. Right? It's like it's like anything. They, they're sitting in the current. They're reacting to what's coming down yeah. in the river. So, yeah. well, but, you know, I, I but I tend to know now. Look, you know, I tend to look for hatches. Yeah, now, yeah. as opposed to just going down the river and not with a blind eye and just hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah. Put well, an atoms and hope for the best. And I think that's really <laughs> like you know what we've kind of learned. Right, so the key to success is, is trying to figure out the, the streams. What's going on? What are they eating? I'll do my homework next weekend. I'll bring little bottles. I would. And I will bring home some of these bugs. Yeah. And when we turn rocks. You, I will you, do that. It'll be a huge advantage for you. I will do that. You know? And then even if you go to buy flies, take your bugs with you and look and at them. Yeah. Uh, I mostly I mostly do. I mostly make my own. Yeah. I, I haven't when I buy flies they're they're bass bugs. Yeah. But any for my trial, I, I do them myself. Well I told you earlier I told you the Henriksen because of the high the high level of uh, stillborn, yeah. I decided to try tying a fly that was half nymph, half mm-hmm. adult. It's stupid. may yeah. not work. Well, which would I have... I had huge success. I started yeah. catching tons of big fish on yeah. it because 
And that, to me, is what the sport was all about. Mm-hmm. An observation. You do something and you make you try it. And it all of a sudden, huge. Yeah. Huge success. Yeah, the drives I've been tying these days, um, like I said, with the clean camera hooks, or yeah. even not, with regular hooks, I do a lot of parachutes, yeah. um, low, low profile. Well, the clean camera is a, a great example. The clean camera, to me, would look more like an emerging insect. Mm-hmm. Because the abdomen it would hang in the water oh, okay, because yeah. of the curved hook, right, yeah. and you know what? When the Henderson hatches on, yeah. it's a great. It's you know, it's a great. The fish is taking it more for an emerger, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, there's a fly that a lot of people fish the credit use called the usual. The what? The usual. Okay. And the reason they call it the usual was because someone would say, "What are you fishing?" And they said, "The usual." Okay. Because uh, they didn't really want to give away the pattern. Oh, it's I tie- see. It's tied with uh, snowshoe rabbit fur okay. from the paw. Of a snowshoe rabbit because it's waterproof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, brown or white? Well, uh, the the material is is gray. Oh, okay. So it looks like the the wing. Look at the thing. The wing on a Hendrickson is very gray. Yeah. The Hendrickson done very gray, very slate gray. Okay. Um, but again, going back to what I said earlier, you have to look at all these bugs and say, what's the strike trigger here? What's the thing that's going to going to make the fish hit it? Yeah. And with Hendricksons, it's pink. The color pink when they first freshly emerge. Yeah. Very, yeah. An hour later, they're not as pink; they're more tan. Wow! An hour. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So many birds. Were, and my ADD is like raging yeah, right now. I, <laughs> I, half the time, Joe thinks I'm looking at him, but I'm looking at the blue jays in the. I think that's there. where you get your fly material, eh? I think it could be jays yeah. and, <laughs> and squirrels. <laughs> Okay, but, well, uh, we have an email too, right? We yeah, we've got a bunch email. of a bunch of emails, two emails, um, but we have one with a question, right? Yes. Let's open that up and talk about what, what that was. The question was, well, just read back uh, here. Let's see, can I see the email once you open it up? Yeah. This, this was a question about Gatno, which I haven't. I fished uh, the Ottawa River on the Gatno side, but it might be a question that's that we can. I'm sure you will be able to answer. Let's see what it, let's see what it has to say. So um, here's here's the email from Brent. All right, from Brent in Boston. Uh, he says that my family and I go on an annual trip uh, to North of Gatineau in the Otaways region of Quebec. Outaway. Okay, come there on, we go. Mitch, you're from there. <laughs> in the beginning of May, been going to the same lodge cabins for four generations. Um, the lakes we fish are cold and deep. We target trout exclusively. It's bows up there, uh, brekkies, and the occasional split tail. I don't know what a split tail is. Um, but he's looking for some local knowledge, patterns, techniques, the entomology he mentions. He's wondering if uh, if we'd have some of that info for him. Or if there's a solid fly shop nearby there. And I can answer the fly shop question for you right now. Um, near there, there, it was Green Drake in Ottawa. And that's you've been to that shop as well. And you used to go to that shop. Yeah. And it's a good shop. Like, they've got a lot of good materials and stuff there. And, and some pretty knowledgeable guys. So I would stop by there before you actually head up because they're they're going to know the patterns in northern Quebec because they fished the Gatineau side in Quebec a lot. Those two guys. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they're totally local to the region. They fished well, all over with, with lakes, any lake, um, one of the most important from a if you're going to fish mayflies or insects, Chron- you're going to have a lot of burrowing mayflies. Chromnids. Chromnids very important too as well, but in Ontario you're going to get. Mayflies are going to get the burrowers. So, you know, they're the ones that you've seen them on your lake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Chrominids are very important too as well. So that tends to be more, chrominids tend to be more in shallower lakes. 
So he's okay. fishing. So he's fishing these lakes for for bows. Um, I fished a lake for bows up in, in Ottawa, and up there we use dragonfly um, nymphs. Yeah, and we just drift them with a full sink line. Yeah, and we literally just let the wind take us, and, that, and we catch fish after fish because it's just floating. That's a good one too. Sixty well. feet of leech. water. Leech. Leech is a great has a lot of leech. That's my great so, yeah. two on any lake for yeah. trout or yeah. for oh, yeah. still water. Always, leech yeah. always works really well. And again, going back to what we said, look at the leeches on those lakes. Some of them could be brown. Yeah, they're brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Some could be black. Yeah. Some could be small. Some could be big. Mm-hmm. If you just go with a woolly bugger at this size, it would be nice to spend five minutes trying to find out what kind of leeches yeah, are there. Absolutely. And so to answer that, to answer Brent's question, I hadn't fished up in there. I fished the Ottawa. I fished lakes in Westboro or in Westport, and for the, and for those, I would use dragonfly nymphs. I would go with dragonfly nymphs, brown and black leeches, mm-hmm. just marabou leeches. Excellent. And I would just completely just drift them with the wind, right? Yeah. And then yeah. and then maybe look. What else could you do to, to increase and learn about the entomology on a lake? Uh, well, uh, could you, you know, do the rocks on the shore? You certainly could do the rocks. You could uh, dig up a bit of the sand around them around there to see what was there. Yeah. But it's more important. If you're on the lake and you happen to see, oh, there's a, a mayfly floating on the, uh, there's a, a, a rise. Yeah. Um, that's when you would look and scoop. It could be a chrominid. It could yeah. be a mayfly. It's just trying to observe what's happening and reacting to it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But, and, and uh, the weather as well. But yeah, you know what? You go down into New England and those lakes and they're, and they're trolling streamers with fly rods. Right, you know, the, the yeah, there's big, like one inch, um, like a landlocked salmon, landlocked right. salmon, and the big carry oh, yeah, Stephen flies, big streamers, yeah, yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm. big carry Stephen flies, yeah. yeah, and again, it's it's drifting or it's rowing, and uh, those work too as well. Yeah, and now yeah. west, it's, it's the 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 right? Yeah, and in, dragonflies too as well. In in lakes in Quebec, um, I remember as a kid, we used to go to Batiscan Nelson was an exec kind of like for yeah for salmon, but it was for trout, and. Um, You'd be in, it was fly fishing only lakes. It was amazing. You don't really see that here. <laughs> and you would go into this little lake. The the leech would be complete black. No other color than black. And then yeah, you yeah. walk a kilometer. You use the other lake. It was brownish red. See that? That's great. Yeah. It's That's great observation. A, a kilometer away f- yeah. from each other. Two different leech. It's, yeah. I've seen, brown, I've seen leeches that look like gray with spots on them. Yeah. I don't know if that's normal. Well, a good example when is I digged one. a good example is on the Grand. Um, when the, they've opened the dam really high and the water goes up and it's not fishable, and then it starts to drop back down and it's fishable, there's a bloodworm. It looks like a little chromatid nymph that you tie, and it's bright red. Wow! And it comes from the lake, and it's only available once they've opened the dam and closed oh, it because yeah. it floods it. Yeah, it. and I've had great success where I show up on the Grand and I fish that because I've seen the yeah. water drop and I go on the upper grand and I fish that and I've caught fish that are eating that yeah, yeah, bug yeah. specifically. So it's all about being responsive to your surroundings, right? Yeah, I think that's the idea yeah. of this podcast. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, well, thanks for emailing. And if anyone else wants to email in, the, uh, the email is uh, it's the soflycrew@gmail.com, right? And then we've also, yes. uh, if you want to follow us on social as well, we've got some. Instagram accounts, Facebook accounts. What is it? At the SoFly Crew and Facebook is just called SoFly. I just want to make sure something here. Yeah. I'm not going to see any of you guys fishing the water that I fish, right? Yeah, we're going to be. I cannot promise that. Fishing foam. <laughs> I, I will not promise <laughs> that. I will be right there. Because <laughs> I because I tell you what, when we leave this when we leave this podcast, yeah, I don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we're fishing foam. You go to, like I say, you go to Pennsylvania, you say to those guys, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, where do I fish around here? They all look at you like, 
I have no idea where to go. Yeah. In the river. <laughs> they yeah. lie like you wouldn't believe. Because <laughs> they all know exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And what to fish. And... Oh, they don't want you. They're, they lie yeah. like crazy. They'll yeah. tell you, I would go fish over there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. I think we need more of that in Ontario, too. It's great to be friendly, but let's keep it a secret. It's more fun. <laughs> it's more fun. But anyways, that, was, uh, that's, that, that wraps up the show. We, uh, we have a bit... A longer show today which is great it's full of information everybody have a good trout opener um like i said don't fish the foam um catch and release everything that you catch uh because you know we, we all want to catch these there's so a let's protect no garbage there. keep the garbage off the river yes yes keep it in your bag be, in your pocket even cigarette butts i met an old fly fisherman once and he would smoke his cigarettes and he'd put the butts into back into the pack my dad, my dad was a, a, a guard on a salmon zec, and he saw a guy throwing a cigarette butt in the water. And he just uh, slowly went to him and said, Hey, my friend, if I see you do that again, you will go with the butt. I love that, because they don't decay. <laughs> and then, right? the guy was like, Hey, yeah, you, work, you work here. You shouldn't be saying that. I'm like, I'm you like will it. go with the butt. Well, you know, just be a good person <laughs> on the river. Protect yeah. the environment. Yeah. Don't be a dick. It's easy. Well, thanks yep. for listening today. Thank Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, we hope to have you on again. Thanks so much, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having we'll us. We'll do this again. Absolutely. We're home. Maybe mid-season or closer to Steelhead. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we can ask you where all the spots are then. <laughs> Joe, the coffee we just drank is one of the best coffee I've never had. It was so good. <laughs> Let's have another one. Everybody, thanks for listening. Yeah, and uh, take care. Uh,